You're listening to the best of The Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now your host, Michelle Miao. It's Michelle Miao. You're listening to The Best Of Show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year. Today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Our guest today is poet Jessica Jacobs, in which I just mentioned she's one half of the other amazing poet. He'll join us on the second half of the show. Um, Jessica has lived in San Francisco and also New York um, and is a literary genius, in my opinion. And she's got a book out, Pelvis with Distance, which is basically, I mean, who does this? Who decides to write a biography about, you know, someone as amazing as Georgia O'Keeffe, but do it in poetry. Well, we'll find out how she did it. Jessica, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to help you make history. (laughs) That's right. History has been made today, (laughs) February 8th and during Chinese New Year. So Jessica, I mean, like I said, I mean, who does that? Who says, you know, I wake up one day and and, and I want to write a biography, but in, uh, in, in, you know, in poems. I mean, you have to be such a genius with words to kind of navigate and figure that out. (laughs) Um, Well, I definitely did not set out to do this. Um, So I I just, I started, I was taken by one of her paintings. Um, And, you know, I mean, everyone has seen these paintings. They're on tote bags and calendars and stuff. And I I saw one in person and it just, it just knocked me out. And they had published uh, about a thousand pages of O'Keeffe's letters to her husband, the photographer, Alfred Stieglitz. And I started reading them, and I just realized that not only was she an incredible artist, but um, just an amazing woman, especially, you know, for her time period. So I had to know more, and poems were the the best way to do that. You know, what went into the research? How did you gather some of these letters, and and how long did it take for you to finally kind of compile them and put them together? Um, Well, the, you know, the the bookish scholarly part took about seven months of, um, you know, reading thousands of pages of letters printed and online and reading three biographies and, you know, a bunch of other books. Um, But I also, I I got to go out to the archive, the O'Keeffe Archive in Santa Fe, New Mexico, um, which was absolutely wonderful. And I, I got to handle some of her letters and, you know, see her paints and actually some tents um, and a sleeping bag from which she used to go out and camp in the desert and paint. Um, but the the biggest part of my research, and this is actually another part of the book, is um, I found a, a little primitive cabin uh, way out in the desert um, right near where she used to live. And I stayed there for a month, and that's actually where I wrote my book, um, so it was a kind of immersion research. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. That is, that is so neat. Before we dive into the heart of, of the book and, and read a little bit from the book, um, I do have to ask, I mentioned it in the uh, introduction that we've got one uh-huh. half of you and we're making history today. And so <laughs> I kind of you know, want to go a little bit backwards and sure. ask about you in terms of, you know, your your story uh, and how you became this incredible poet and uh, and how you and your wife are both poets and what life is like for both of you. Oh, life is pretty great. We, we have no complaints right now. Uh, well, so 
Nicole and I met, uh, my wife and I met in uh, New York, actually, in 2007, and I was working in a boring corporate publishing job, and she was working in a slightly more exciting publishing job in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, she was in New York to read from her first book, Sister, and we met at a awful lesbian party in Manhattan. Um <laughs> <laughs> where all true love stories begin. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we had to wait, thankfully, 45 minutes to get a drink. And I happened to stand next to her at a bar and at uh, the bar waiting. And she had a reading the next night and I, I came to it and I, I fell for her. But we we had kind of a, a, a fraught, ridiculous ro- romantic comedy tragedy thing where it took us about six years to to finally work out how we could be together. Uh, and yeah. And then within six months we were married. So, wow. Wow. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. And that Thank is, you. I'll have to ask at a later time, you know, that horrible lesbian party, um, some, uh, some other time though. Um, but, okay. but, but, but as far as like your childhood and growing up and coming out, mm-hmm. um, family structure and things like that, if you don't mind us asking, it's always fun to, you know, to, to, to get to know, um, incredible people who probably have great stories. Um, yeah, what was what was you know your childhood like? Sure. Uh, so I grew up in Central Florida, which was very conservative. Uh, I was surrounded by um, very religious people, and you know there just wasn't a lot happening there culturally. And I knew that I was gay from a pretty young age. Uh, so I, I basically was just counting down until I could I could leave Florida, uh, but. Very, I'm amazingly fortunate, and I, I made the choice that I came out to my to my parents, to my family, the week that I left for college, mm. and uh, they were amazing. I mean, my my mom cried for a little while, but mostly just because she, you know, thought my life would be more difficult. And this was in um, 1998, so things were a little bit different then. But uh, at this point, I mean, they're remarkably supportive, and I think maybe they like my wife a little better than they like me, so <laughs> which I'm fine with. <laughs> it's funny how that you know works out that way. Um, well, thank you, thank you so much for sharing that. I feel yeah. I feel you know so so much closer to you, and and yeah. and that's the thing is to inspire other um, young folks too out there who might be queer who want to get into this line of work that. Uh, that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And now you've got this incredible book out, which is an homage to Georgia O'Keeffe um, and, yeah. uh, you know, a, a biography of her life, but written mm-hmm. in, 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 you know, in poetry, which is so beautiful. And it's titled Thank Pelvis you. with a Distance. And so um, let's see, I, I wanted to I wanted to start off with this. So you even um, included you, you went you go all the way back. There's there's that first letter that Georgia O'Keefe wrote to her her husband, as you had mentioned earlier, um, which was, mm-hmm. was sent in in 1915. Um, and it was very short. I mean, describe kind of what what you think Georgia O'Keefe was was trying to what was her goal there in writing this very first letter? Uh, well, at that time, she was a student. And uh, Stieglitz was this very, very famous photographer and gallery owner, and she just was reaching out for, I think in some ways for a mentor, in some ways for someone to say to her, 
you're talented, you have something special. And Stieglitz at the time was the, the first gallery to, his, his gallery, which was 291 in Manhattan, was the first place in the entire United States to show artists like Picasso and Duchamp who were laughed at at that time. You know, this was before they were famous. Mm-hmm. And O'Keefe was really pushing back against the establishment. And I think she was reaching out for some type of affirmation from him. In which we'll find out if, uh, you know, kind of how the romance started and when. You're going to read a couple, um, a couple, I guess, a couple poems from Pelvis with a Distance. And then you've got new work coming up as well, right? I do. Yeah, I'm actually writing my next book, which is primarily about marriage uh, and just what, yeah, (laughs) which is very scary uh, to write about something so personal. But, you know, just writing about what does it mean to make that type of commitment? What is it like to be with another poet? Uh, And it's in a way a memoir, but it's in poems again. Uh, And there's actually some poems about growing up in Florida. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Well, we're going to take a (laughs) quick break here. When we come back, we'll continue uh, reading. Yes, we're doing poetry here on the Michelle Miao Show with the first time ever a uh, wife and wife duo. That is so cool. So stick around. Don't go away. We'll be back with Jessica Jacobs. It's Michelle Miao. You're listening to The Best Of Show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.ale.com. G-R-E-C-A-R-E dot com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. 
you are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Tuesday. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. As you might be experiencing, there is a voice missing, and that is John Zipper of Commonwealth Club. Uh, don't fret. <laughs> he was just stuck in some uh, post-Super Bowl traffic. People are starting to, you know, go back to work now that the tourists have left San Francisco. Uh, but he'll be back next week. Our guest today is Jessica Jacobs, who's the author of Pelvis with Distance, uh, in which it's a biography of Georgia O'Keeffe, the artiste. Um, uh, it's just written in, in, in poems, which is so <laughs> incredible. Uh, so, Jessica, right before the break, we introduced um, the first letter, basically, that Georgia O'Keeffe mm-hmm. wrote to her, you know, as we know, um, her husband. Um, and let's, uh, I'm, I want to ask you, kind of, you know, you, you pick some stuff out that you're going to read for us. Which would be the first one? Okay, uh, well, so you are asking about that early letter. So I'll read uh, a poem that's early in her biography. And it was it was really fun to watch her letters and, and his letters go from very formal, you know, Mr. Stieglitz and Mrs. O'Keefe, uh, to slowly getting more personal. And then they got pretty racy. Um, so this is a poem. Uh, O'Keefe left New York for a little while to go teach in Texas, and she was writing to Stieglitz. And it's called Nude Series 8. Naked Swimmer. I am your blue lake, a hot moon lifting from my throat. Tonight, I am full of wheels and empty canyons, desert so open we walk without roads. I throw bottles at the maid to order stars for my sister's rifle to spark, break, burst glass to belated sunset. The sheet on my bed is a great twist. It is strange to write you just because I want to, but I hate to be undone by a little thing like distance. Wow. (laughs) It's so deep. It's so different than what people would say these days if they were to write something to their (laughs) their partner. Kind of, you know, and you weave your own words in and out of... um, the uh, entire book and in and, and maybe perhaps uh, you know how did you connect to to those words as a poet well so this this poem the poem that i just read is primarily in my own words uh there's a little bit where at the very end where she actually wrote to him and said i hate to be outdone by a thing like distance which i changed to undone uh so I, what i did was as i read her letters uh, i was just so moved by she had kind of an artist's eye in her writing. Mm-hmm. She would just see all these interesting details, like she talks about throwing bottles up and, and shooting them and how beautiful the sunset was. So I, I was just kind of looking for inspiration the whole time. And, you know, and then it was really fun to actually almost collaborate with her across time and, and get to have her words kind of going in and out of my poems. That is so beautiful. And, and of course, you know, you probably, I mean, you're married, you're in love, you feel these things, yes. you know what to say. Um, I, I was just going to ask kind of, you know, talking about across times and, and uh, mm-hmm. talking about, you know, today, I mean, are these words and, and things that you might also uh, say to describe your relationship with your wife? 
Um, well, I'm hoping that our marriage is actually going to be a lot better than uh, O'Keefe's <laughs> secrets. <laughs> he, was, he was a little bit of a dog. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but yes, absolutely. I mean, they had, they had such passion in the way they wrote to each other. And, and the thing that I think I'm most inspired by is they were so supportive of each other's art. And they really, they weren't competitive, but... Stieglitz would see O'Keefe painting something incredible, and then he would go out and try to answer it with a set of, of photographs, like this amazing call and response. And I see my wife and I do the same thing. You know, we, we try to write poems. You know, I want to write poems that, that move her, that make her happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I see that. But actually, I wasn't married when I wrote this book, so there's, there are a number of poems of me out in the desert thinking very, very sad thoughts about this beautiful woman I met in New York and I didn't know if it would ever work out. And, um, yeah. It's so so interesting to go into inside the mind of someone as, you know, creative as you, especially with words. Um, (laughs) yeah, it's definitely a, you know, road we've never taken here on the show. Um, what about the second one that you want to read for us? Sure. Well, I'll read one of those poems that, um, describe the time that I was out in the, in that cabin by myself. So it was um, the most alone I'd ever been. There was no cell reception or internet or electricity, and it was a five-mile walk or run to the next nearest neighbor. Um, so it was very alone, um, which was terrifying, but also was an amazing time to think. But of course, um, and I'm sure you know this, that there's a time when we, we turn our cell phones off. The one thing we think about is what we don't want to think about. Mm. It, it kind of, you know, kind of keeps coming up. So this is called uh, In the Canyon Memory. The music station in my mind has finally quit. In the silence, memories surface. All the standard set pieces, awkward breakups, shameful gaffes, after-the-fact eloquence for occasions long past. And through it all, the poet from Kentucky met in the doldrums of a New York winter. Five years ago now? Six? How the southern accent she'd unlearned as a kid rose to ghost her syllables when she read her poems aloud. How her hair sun-streaked, was curled as the churning waves of a walled-out day on the Pacific. Her endless gray scarf unwinding and unwinding as I tried to find my way to her throat. The unperfumed warmth in the cleft beneath her ear. The weight of her breasts in my palms as she straddled my hips. How I ran after her out into the street, but she'd already left. Memory as film reel, each image lost to the next, so swiftly my eyes lie to conjure broken moments whole. Flash them past fast enough, and there she is again in my arms. Wow, I could I could sit here and and, and listen to you read your poetry um, all day long. That is that is just so beautiful. Oh, thank you. As a as a poet, I mean, again, like I mean, you know, capturing the life of George O'Keefe in your own writing and in poetry, you've got to 
you've got to have this imagination and be able to stick yourself uh, in that person's life at times. Um, does that ever, I mean, does it feel dreamy? Does it, does it get to a place where it feels like it, it, you're fantasizing or what's it like for you in terms of the experiencing of immersing yourself in somebody's life, but not even someone who was, you know, alive like 10 years ago. Uh, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Somebody who lived a, a whole new different time than we do today. I mean, in so many ways, it's a privilege to be able to just, you know, kind of dive into someone's life like a, a deep pool. And it it feels incredible. And you, in a way, it helps me to understand other people's feelings, you know, to be able to actually really try to imagine my way into someone else's life. It, it's, I, I don't know, it's just amazing. And I mean, I think, though, oddly, you know, when I try to remember things from my own life, it's almost that same experience. It's like I have to really open myself to it and just allow myself to almost go away and to become just this conduit in a way um, that that these experiences can flow through. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I really do enjoy and I can't wait to kind of, you know, uh, take a weekend and read the entire uh, book, Pelvis with Distance. So I urge uh, readers out there, young and old, pick up a copy today. It's Pelvis with Distance by Jessica Jacobs. Uh, I want to take this time to turn our attention to the work that you're currently doing right now. Um, sure. which which, you know, now it, it, it seems personal in terms of uh, things that you can grasp from your own life or your own married life. Yes. Uh, well, I'll, I'll give you a choice, Michelle, since this is your, you know, first debut poetry moment. Um, <laughs> would, you, <laughs> would you prefer a young kind of coming to terms with sexuality childhood poem or a grown-up marriage poem? Is it selfish of me to say both? I mean, I know we only have three minutes left, but I've I've got Fong here, you know, who I think um, just in the last couple few years have come to terms with her sexuality, and and uh, and then I've and then we, we've got me that is, is probably walking <laughs> into oh, uh, you know, I am growing up in a, in a committed relationship post marriage equality, so it's something that's on top of my mind. So can we do both? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I um, the the childhood one's a little bit longer. No, I'll, it's okay. I'll take your take your time, since we know it's just your wife who's, who's our next guest. <laughs> she, she's sitting here very patiently waiting, so she, <laughs> she won't be too upset. That is so cool. Okay, let's let's uh, yeah, let's hear let's hear the first one. Okay, so uh, this is um, back in the whew, uh, late '80s, early '90s. Uh, Central Florida, if you want to try to shut your eyes and, and go back to that somewhat awful, amazing time. And it is called Sex Suddenly Everywhere. That redhead with the jumpsuit zippered from throat to crotch, trilling, boys, don't touch my zipper, until they trailed her like goslings, transfixed by the shiny metal pole. The couple caught in the science building bathroom. Backhand whispers, but I wouldn't even take my shoes off in there. And how many eighth grade dance parties in the country club boathouse. Some girl in a corner crying about some boy. Some boy nervously plucking the wails of his corduroys, waves lapping 
unheard, but always laughing, as I got freaked by the pagan twins to a boys-to-men slow jam. Confused girl meshed between two confused brothers. I tried not to stare at the girls I wished against me instead. And every day, those hallways, crowded cattle chutes, musked up clusters of young bodies, slap of sandals, snap of bra straps, high, sweet stench of Malbot perfume. My nose to the back of another girl's neck, close enough to see a single strand escaped, curling beneath her collar, the gym class dampness between her shoulder blades. Sometimes it was all I could do to keep my clothes on, to keep from moaning aloud. Once a bucket, an occasional embarrassing slosh over the top if jostled, now a sieve, desire leaking from every pore. Which is why I tried so hard to be harder to use the world as my whetstone to sharpen myself against each day. My body cried out for armor. Big-boned, broad-shouldered, I was built for it. Forced into a dress with shoulder pads, I was the 80s littlest linebacker. So I began to run, clanking like a tank around cul-de-sacs, began to climb, building biceps strong enough to stiff arm the world away. Even my heart grew heavy, grew into one more thing to carry. Regardless, that summer they arrived. My gut-wrenched need made visible, made just as repulsive as I'd imagined it to be. Not door jams marked by blood, but windshields caked and rendered useless. Radiators choked with the bodies of black and red love bugs, kissing bugs, fuck bugs, a horror movie facade on every building, curtains of them unmoved by the breeze, a mob, a building blackout. And I couldn't help but envy them. Their lust answered, each writhing insect partnered. Their desire singular, their purpose obvious. They didn't even have mouths to feed. Wow. <laughs> oh man, I loved I loved the being forced in the the imagery of the you know being forced into the dress with shoulder pads and then the <laughs> comparison of <laughs> uh, you know a, a, a line uh, backer or some you know in a boys football uh, uniform. <laughs> Thank um, you. I everyone here in this room can connect with that poem. That is so great. Thank you so much for reading that. So. So oh, let's uh, let's go ahead and read the last poem, in which sadly we'll have to push you out, <laughs> but but for good reasons because we want to speak to your wife. <laughs> I, I am I am very happy to make way for my wife. So All right, it's, it's, been a, it's been a pleasure to talk with you, and I'll I'll read you one more. Uh, so this is called "In the First Fall of Our Marriage," uh, and it's it's kind of about the times that maybe you know marriage is not always so easy. In the first fall of our marriage. 
though I want to give you only kindness. There's often an age between what I want and who I am. But how many times can you cry on my chest before something good grows there? Redwoods thrive in acid soil. Summon that weight, those stiff-fingered roots to skewer my ribs and prime the rusted pump in my chest. Into that age, let me grow. A ring for each year, marking boom and drought and flood. Let me anchor further into your roots. Make me part of something greater. Let me grow strong enough that even when fallen, I can be of use to you. Rough lumber for rafters and joists. A roof for the drum of this evening's insistent rain. A cross-section for my trunk set to spin on the phonograph. A record of what has passed, playing the music of what is to come. A song for each year, I'll learn to love you better. <laughs> of course, uh, the you know the last poem you read uh, brings me to near tears. Jessica, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your poetry with us and sharing your work. I, I mean that it, it's been so amazing. And for those out there um, who are tuning in, uh, pick up a copy of Pelvis with Distance by Jessica Jacobs. And Jessica, that memoir that you just uh, read from, um, that will be released when. Oh, it, it is. It's still in process right now. So <laughs> well, hopefully well, soon. Okay, no pressure. No pressure. So, you know, take your time, and uh, we'll have you back on when it's all out there. So, thank you okay. so much for being here with us. Wonderful. Thank you. I'll pass the phone to Nicole. Hold on. The Michelle Miao Show continues after this. We're going to take a quick short break, but when we come back, we've got Jessica's wife. I know history is being made right here on the Michelle Miao Show. And Nicole will read from her book, Fanny Says. So don't go away. We'll be right back. It's Michelle Miao. You're listening to The Best Of Show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years, and uh, over the past couple of months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now, because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody, and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the, uh, the ethics of Oasis, is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need to, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, could I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time, so you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? That's just always been my attitude. 
um, just to entertain people. And so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity. And, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for Spotlight you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Tuesday. I'm Michelle Meow, your host, and Fong, our producer, is in studio. And like I mentioned earlier, you know, history is being made here on the program for the first time ever. We have a married couple who are both poets and who are awesome lesbians. <laughs> I just have to add that. Yeah. Um, so our next guest is Nicole Brown, who's Jessica's wife, and she has her book out uh, titled Fanny Says, which is basically a love song um, and, a, 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 you know, a, a, another homage, in my opinion, um, to her late grandmother. Uh, Nicole, yeah. welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, so Fanny Says, this is this one is very personal for you uh, mm-hmm. in that every yeah. entry here in this book is about your grandmother. It is, yes, yes. My sassy, body grandmother from Bowling Green, Kentucky. She was my my mama's mama, the great matriarch, and um, she helped raise me. And uh, so this book is, is reaching back and trying to remember her, remember the way that she remember um, um, her life everything the, the, you know the things yeah. that that happened and um, yeah and the, and the last part of the book uh, basically is set after I lost her she she passed in uh, 2004 mm. and um, it's sort of reaching back and having those conversations with her that I didn't get a chance to have before she left mm-hmm. So, yeah. The interesting thing about this is that it's a a, a biography, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, similar form as far as we just spoken to your wife, who also did the same thing with Georgia O'Keeffe. But however, Mm -hmm. you know, do your grandmother as uh, every single entry um, is a memory of yours. Let's let's get into it. Well, actually, you know what? I have to do what's right, which is probably take you down the road that I did with Jessica. We have to get to know you okay. first. Um, okay. And so, yeah. So, you know, instead of uh, uh, Central Florida, you grew up in Louisville, uh, Kentucky, right? I did, yes. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about your childhood, coming out, uh, fam- family life. Well, I guess not too much because oh. we're going to hear a, a lot about your grandmother <laughs> and growing up with your grandmother, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, my my mother was young; she was sixteen, and so when she had me, and so I was essentially, you know, raised by her and by my grandmother, by Fanny, um, into a big, rambling Fanny of family. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I didn't come out until I was much older. I didn't come out until I was thirty. And I think that's because there were very few examples where I was, uh, very few um, 
ways in which I could see myself in that life. And it wasn't until um, I grew up and I started traveling to New York and started working up there and that, uh, you know, I could really sort of see myself um, in that way. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, yeah, so it happened when I was much older. Did you feel like you were different than everyone else growing up? Um, any Anything like that? Like, um, for example, like, I had a crush on my second grade teacher. <laughs> it's <was> just weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I felt like I was broken. I think I just thought that that part of my life didn't work, you know. Um, I thought of myself as the girl who became a book and that I was, just asexual and um that i it, you know i it, because i i just couldn't find a place for myself in that way you know and in a lot of ways it was very lonely but i thought that was just how it was mm-hmm. and certainly you know i mean i think i've come from a long line of um really uh vocal uh women who, you know, said, you know, like, whatever with the men, you know, mm-hmm. um, would say, you know, if you ever get married, make sure you get interesting wallpaper because you're going to have something to look at in the bedroom, you know, <laughs> kind of like stuff like that. And I thought, oh, okay, you know, that's just really how it is. And the romance is, you know, is, is for the movies, you know. Right. And, um so I didn't really start to seriously question that in, until my late twenties, and uh, started to work through a lot of stuff. And it was it was a very painful kind of long process, but uh, I'm sure glad I came through it because you know I I sort of feel like I did a mork from orc uh, uh, aging, you know, and that you mm-hmm. age backwards, you know. And so when I was twenty, I was in my fifties, you know, and right. by the time I was thirty. I hit adolescence. It was kind of amazing. <laughs> wow. Wow. What yeah. a what a great way to articulate that, because uh, I think for a lot of us, we do process that way, but we don't know how to say it. But that would probably be why you're, you know, a badass poet. Um, let's, <laughs> it, it, it's a, we're, we're going to read from your book, obviously. Uh, we're going to do that after sure. the break. Um, but because this is a biography of your grandmother and she raised you, so I can't help but feel that this might also be a biography of, of you know, yourself even. How do you feel mm-hmm. about this being a, a, a biography for both you and your grandmother? Yeah, you know, I think originally um, my my first book, Sister, uh, was so deeply personal and rooted in my childhood that um, when I sat down to write this book, I really wanted to step outside of myself and write a life that was not mine. And so the first poems that I wrote for this, I um, concentrated just on Fanny. And it was interesting because it was uh, Jessica that uh, kind of pulled me aside because she saw an early version of this manuscript. And she said, you know, you, you need to be there. You, you're not present and you can't really talk about your grandmother unless you talk about yourself. And that was where a lot of the later poems came in. Um, some of the poems that are far more difficult 
to. Um, I have a long sequence in the uh, book in which I deal with issues of racism in my family, and that was just a really difficult poem um, because I had to uh, look at the culpability of, of my, my family and the, the way that um, we were raised, the, mm. the things that we learned. And, you know, I also had to reach back and have that dialogue with my grandmother about coming out, um, which I didn't do when she was alive. And, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because in a lot of ways, um, I know she would have really given me hell about it. I know that she would have been very difficult, but I think she would have come around. You know, I think that given up enough time, um, she would love Jessica and Jess would be sitting down at the dining room table eating fried chicken with the rest of us, you know. But I, um, you know, I, I didn't get that chance. So this mm-hmm. poem was a way for me to live through that um, Which is, and kind it, of have that conversation with her. That's so beautiful. I mean, I mean, uh, you know, I just lost... Um, uh, my aunt, who you know was grandmother mm-hmm. to uh, twelve uh, grandkids, and 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 mm-hmm. and they're fairly young, and uh, I would one of them is sitting right here. Actually, he's in the studio, <laughs> and yeah. and I think that we're just trying to go through that in which um, we what what kind of conversations would we be having today or tomorrow? And I don't think it ever goes away. That's right. Yeah. Um, let's take a quick short break right here, but when we come back, let's dive into the book and let's, uh, let's read from it. So it's poetry right here on the Michelle Miao show with the incredible poets, a, uh, married couple, Nicole Brown and Jessica Jacobs. But when we come back, we'll hear from Nicole Brown in reading Fanny Says. So don't go away. It's Michelle Miao. You're listening to the Best Of Show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org. Download our free app in iTunes. And join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. <laughs> 
You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Tuesday. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Our guest today is Nicole Brown, who's the author of Fanny Says, in which it's a uh, basically a biography of her late grandmother uh, who passed in 2004. And uh, I just want to read very quickly here. Um, here are some facts, uh, as Nicole had mentioned in uh, her press kit that when she lost her grandmother, her inheritance consisted of a Prada bag, uh, which is her favorite, in bubblegum pink, and also a pair of her terry cloth house slippers, a mess of her hair rollers and clips, one of her plastic cigarette filters, and a uh, a gold cigarette case, an empty bottle of nerve pills, an empty bottle of hair color, and a few stray bullets, um, <laughs> and, and then some other items. But um, but if that gives you uh, any indication of who uh, you know Fanny was, um, <laughs> I should say that the title of the first entry is "fuck." It is. Yeah. <laughs> Let's start and there. I've been on a bunch of radio shows and have never been able to drop that bomb. So I'm glad you just. <laughs> Well, right out there. Uh, the boys at Progressive Voices will scrub what they need to, um, but you know, for the most part, the the network is on TuneIn, which you know okay. is not regulated by <laughs> FCC, which is good. Power to the progressives. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, let's start with fuck, and then we'll you know get into the entries that you want to read. But uh, I would say that you know, starting this uh, biography of your grandmother and and describing who she is, I mean, that first chapter is like. Sure. A home run. <laughs> All right. So what, what you need to know um, about this book is, that, you know, I'm constantly thinking about the way she talks. I'm thinking about her voice and trying to incorporate it into the poems. And, you know, she just had a real particular way of speaking. And so this, this poem um, deals with that. So, yeah. So, fuck. <laughs> uh, uh, was it was it part of her regular you know um uh her just the way that she spoke i mean i know that uh tone was important in this and what you described oh that's true should i just read it for you would that be yeah let's go for it let's do it all right all right so fuck fuck is what she said but what mattered was the tone not a drive-by spondy and never the fricative connotation and verb, but from her mouth, vowed, often preceded by well, with the U low as if dipping up homemade ice cream, waiting to be served last so she'd scoop the fruit from the bottom while all the good stuff had settled down. Imagine, not a word cold cocked or screwed to the wall, but something almost resigned, a sigh, an oh well, the F word made so fat and slow it was basset hound, chunky with an extra syllable, just enough weight to make a jab to the rim more of a shoulder shrug. Think of what's done to shit in the South. This is shit, but flipped with a whip, made a little more tart. Well, fuck, Betty Sue. I never did see that coming. Can you believe? Well, my favorite, not as explicative, but noun. Fucker, she said. But what she meant was darling, sugar pie, sweet beets, 
a cursed word made into a term of endearment. As in, come here, you little fucker, and give your grandma a kiss. If the child was young enough for diapers, he'd still be a shit-ass, but big enough to lift his arms and touch his hands together over his toddling toe head. He was so big, all grown, a cute little fucker. Watch him go. Fuck is what she said, but what she needed was a drum, a percussion to beat story into song, a chisel to tap honey from the meanest rock. Not just fuck if I know, or fuck me running, or fuck me sideways, or beats the fuck out of me, but said tender. Knowing there was only one thing in this whole world you needed to hear most. You fucker, you, don't you know there wasn't a day when you weren't loved. If you still don't understand, try this. A woman up from poor soil, bad dirt, pure clay. A woman as succulent, something used to precious little water, hard sun, rock crop maybe, threading roots to suck nutrients from the nothing of gravel, the nothing of stone, a thriving thing, sturdy, thorned, green, out of mere spite. And because you least expect it, laughing, cussing up a storm. My grandmother, who didn't ask for power, but took it in bright, full, fuck it all bloom. That was so incredible. I mean, that was so, it was deep, it was beautiful, it was um, honest and gritty all at the same time. But what I love about it is I feel like I've met your grandmother somewhere in my life. I mean, <laughs> well, you know, traveling or the yeah. supermarket. Um, yeah. And, and it well, also you know, described like, you know, life, life uh, in the South so, so well in some ways. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about this book is that, I, you know, as many times as I've read from it, there are always people that come up to me afterwards and they say, oh, Fanny is just like such and such, be it an aunt or a grandmother of theirs or something like that. Um, so much so that I, I went ahead on my, my website and I started a page called the Bingo Hall where people can send in profiles of their own kick-ass grandmothers, you know, because <laughs> I, I felt like, you know, these these women um, that, that worked so hard and um, really had to have that grit to get through life as it was in their generation they need to be they need to be remembered they need to be memorialized mm. so mm-hmm. we, we have you know profiles of grandmothers from from cuba and appalachia and and you know um germany yeah and but they you know a lot of them had that that same that same quality right um, which i think is reflected in how hard life was then right Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I love it. It, it. It's almost like it took a couple of words that I had used when I wrote my, my aunt's eulogy. Um, so mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you so much for that. We have time. Uh, we got a couple minutes. I would love for you to read one more um, from Fanny sure. Says. I would be happy to. Um, I'll skip ahead to the end of the book, the part that I mentioned where I'm sort of talking to her um, after she's gone. Okay. 
and this is um, this is and it's kind of a letter to her. It's a epistolary poem. Um, it starts with an epigraph by the poet Marian Moore from her poem "What Are Years," and the quote from Marian Moore is, "Satisfaction is a lowly thing. How pure a thing is joy." This is mortality. This is eternity. And this is called uh, an invitation for my grandmother. When Mama called to say you were gone, I was in New York and climbed the impossible top of a brownstone to talk myself down. Don't get sentimental. Dying is what grandmothers do with what I told myself. But what I should have done was invite you there with me. You'd never been further north than Cincinnati. In the view, the spatter and fleck of all those lights, you'd have to see to believe. So now that you're on the other side and got your knees working again, a proposition. Come, lace up your kids. Walk with me a while. I won't say the world's better. It's not. Since you left, I've seen a pelican stretch her wings to dry, the dripping petrol making her into a bent crucifix of oil. And the penguins have dropped their proud eggs into melted ice. In the spring, yet another wind bulldozed my neighbors, all their homes raised the slab foundation, their trees now splintered bone. But we can take a train out of here. Come, sit next to me, because out the window a girl on a horse jumps a junkyard fence. She wears a shirt the color of poppies, of bright soda cans, and I bet you'll agree, blurred, it is a brown pony with red wings. And three years ago, can I take you there? My sister, sitting up during a contraction, how she reached inside herself to touch the crown of her son not yet born. I want to show you the look on her face in that cord cut, the rich earth of blood, a thick black joy. And please, take off your shoes now. Stand with me last October when I took a wife barefoot in the grass. We made our vows, and after, when she held my jaw with both hands, I could feel the bones of my skull rising up to make a face finally seen. Nicole, thank you so, so much for that. Uh, I could feel... I think that, you know, your grandmother's uh, listening to us and smiling from upstairs. So thank you so much again for joining us here on the program and for sharing, Fanny says. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. For those tuning in, please pick up a copy of Fanny Says Poems by Nicole Brown. And hopefully that inspires you to share stories of your own grandmother. We'll be back at the same time tomorrow, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, right here on the Progressive Voices Network.
tune into the Michelle Miao Show weekdays at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 Eastern on Progressive Voices.